Brain Core with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Welcome to this episode of the RoboHub Podcast. Today we'll be taking a closer look at a system designed to allow developers of machines such as warehouse robots to make their devices autonomous. Developing in-house solutions to create smart or autonomous systems is costly and not always an option, particularly for smaller developers. San Diego-based company BrainCorp were keen to offer a solution and as a result, came up with BrainOS, a technology stack for autonomous machines. BrainOS is a scalable, cloud-based operating system for commercial autonomous robots, which allows integration with pre-existing or new machines. Our interviewer, Lily, spoke to Kajal Garda, one of the software engineers at BrainCorp, who develops algorithms for realizing robotic operations. Kajal shares insights into BrainCorp's cloud-connected operating system and discusses their floor cleaning, vacuuming and warehouse delivery solutions, as well as her own experience of the challenges in becoming a software engineer and developing commercial software solutions. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Kajal and I'm a robotics engineer at BrainCorp. It's based in San Diego, California. As a robotics engineer, I I mostly work in software. Have you always worked in software or how did you get involved in robotics? I, I think my love for robotics came from an internship. So when I was doing my undergrad, I did one summer internship. It was building a vehicle tracking system. But my mentor was really cool and he showed me all these videos about drones and you know how drones do backflips and stuff all on its own. And that is something that got me fascinated into it. And I'm like, yeah, I want to know more about this. I want to be able to do this. So I started taking more programming classes. And where did you do your undergrad? In India, Mumbai. Okay. So, I mean, I did have few programming classes in college, but I didn't really learn much out of it because they were very basic. And I was just trying to pass my grade that time. But then after doing this internship, I was like, yeah, this is something interesting. Yes, this is what I want to do. So I just went online and looked up YouTube videos and that's how I learned. And I would, you know, just do some basic programming, like hello, like starting from, you know, hello world and then just logical based code. And the more I did it, the more interesting it got. And I was like, wow, this is so much fun. Like you do think how, you know, you could get some input and then make something out of it for yourself. And have it designed in such a way that it's the output you want. And at the same time, you have to think of all these, you know, edge cases and corner cases. And be like, what if this happens? What if this happens? Mm -hmm. I think that was fun. So as someone who's kind of like self-taught almost, um, I have two questions. One is, what would you recommend for other people who like don't have the strongest educational background in in this field but want it but like are passionate about it and then two what would you recommend for educators or people who want to put out media for other people to be able to learn from sure for people who are trying to learn on their own it's okay if you don't have that college degree or the educational degree 
when I started, I got my master's in robotics, but before that, I did not know much about robotics. And it is hard, it's difficult, but it's doable. There are a lot of YouTube videos out there. There's a lot of textbooks. Some of it is hard to understand in the start, but then if you, you know, it's like, if you keep reading something over and over in different versions, you eventually get a hang of it. So I would say, you know, yeah, just look at YouTube videos, just keep going at it. And most importantly, just code. The more you code, it's pra- learning by practice, right? The more you code, more easier it gets. As for the educators, I would say it would be great if you can put out uh, assignments and examples that are not too hard in the beginning, but then they eventually get hard. So in the start, you know, keep things simple and then increase it in difficulty so that the person who's starting doesn't feel too intimidated and at the same time is kept interested with the, you know, challenge level increasing slowly. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about... um about what BrainCore is doing and how you use software day to day? Sure. BrainCore is trying to create a brain OS, which is basically an operating system that you can put into any hardware and make it autonomous. It's basically a suit of building blocks, I would say, like path planning, navigation, mapping. So you can use whatever out of that you want, and then you can focus on the product differentiation you want to do. So let's say, you know, you want to create a robot for the hospitality industry. So you want to have capabilities such as, you know, being able to scan the patient barcode and say, okay, these are the medicines you need or these are your test results. So you only want to focus on trying to gather that information and assess that. But everything else Brain OS will take care of. So, you know, you, you got your hardware. We work with different hardwares as well. So you could plug in and say like, okay, I want to use this LiDAR or I want to use cameras or this is all I want to use and how will I use this collection of hardware to be able to use this and then we will take care of the mapping and the navigation we will also take care about you know managing your fleet so we have a cloud-based system which you can use to track all of your robots how they're doing how many assists they are having or in general you know just reports on how how much it's being used how well it's doing um how extensive is the is this hardware that you currently support um and like, how are you looking to expand that? Sure. So right now, one of our products is a big scrubber. So it's these uh, industrial scrubbers that you see around airports and malls. And we've made them completely autonomous. And we have about 700 of them deployed worldwide. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Mostly <laughs> in the US. And then our second product is something we are working with uh, SBR on. It's called the Wiz. It's a much smaller robot. It's mainly for vacuuming for office spaces. So the scrubber is for, you know, scrubbing the floors, whereas the vacuum is for vacuuming. Mm -hmm. And they're mostly for office spaces. And all of this is currently on the, you know, learn by imitation. So you teach the robot a route and then it does it on its own. And yeah, it sometimes gets into problem areas where it doesn't know what to do. And at those times, just throws an assist. So you can go and check on, be like, okay, this is so-and-so happening. But for most part of it, it's pretty good. You know, like if people come in front of it, it knows how to navigate around it. It knows how close to go to a particular object and how far to maintain your distance if something's moving. Mm-hmm. And we are also looking into other areas. So right now we've funded Savioki. It's uh, robots for hospitality industry. And we are supporting them to have brain OS on their own system. Mm-hmm. 
and we're always looking to expand into more robotic companies. So you, so you, you have a couple of products of your own that are the full robot, and then yes, with other companies, you generally have a partnership where it's their hardware, but it's your software. So for even the product that we have currently right now, it's still a partnership once. So we have our OEM partners, which have the scrubber. Like scrubber is a big industry, right? We have Ice, we have Tenant, we have Minuteman. All of these scrubbers are already on their own. But we have supported them in plugging in all the sensors and giving our software and giving the full support where they can eventually start doing this on their own. But for other companies, we're trying to give our software a more preference. But if they need help, help with, you know, what kind of sensors they should use and how to bring about the whole system. So sometimes hardware is just hardware, like these scrubbers, right? They're already existing. Like they can be manually driven. But we have put in our own sensor so that it can become autonomous. So this is the same thing we're trying to do with other companies. But at the same time, if you know there's like no existing hardware and they just want to build something all from the start, we're, we're glad to do that too. How do you deal with, so if you're working in environments that have people on um, on robots that, that were previously manually operated, do you have a lot of like... Do you deal with a lot of safety regulations and safety concerns for being in environments with people? Yeah, sure. We, safety is number one priority, right? Like we don't want to hit obstacles or we don't want to hit, hit people. So there's so there are these two set of um, software that are employed. One is that drives the whole autonomy. But at the same time, we have a firmware safety software, which is completely indifferent to whatever's going on top. So even if, you know, there is some sort of a bug or some reason that it's forcing it to drive when there are people, the firmware kicks in and be like, hey, you know, there's someone out there. Even if we can't identify what it is, we will not let you drive. And it immediately goes into an emergency stop. So safety is number one. <laughs> um, from a from a regulatory point of view, so like obviously it's a concern just because you want to have good products that are like, that are safe. Um, but do you deal with like specific regulations that are hard to manage or does it ever become kind of in, an impediment to the level of autonomy that you can put on these i don't think there that is something i am aware of but yes safety is a concern we do have certain amount of certifications that we go through mm-hmm. and we also employ a combination of sensors like we never rely on just one sensor so for example, on the big scrubbers, we have LIDARs as well as time-of-flight cameras. So if LIDAR misses something and time-of-flight sees something, then we use a combination of that. Like, you know, okay. Because we need to ensure that if there's something in our environment, we catch it. Like, we should be aware of it. And in the event where... So, for most part, we want it to run autonomously. But if it gets into a situation where it cannot make a decision, where it could be a concern of safety we don't let it drive autonomously we ask it to throw an assist which basically sends a message to the operator of the robot as well as to our system so that somebody can come and look into it mm-hmm. so we so the in terms of degree of autonomy it's as far as it is safe to operate and as far as it can make a good decision so what sort of what sort of um, autonomy problems do you personally work on so one of the problems I'm currently working with is um, a lot of LiDAR sensor noises. So even though we want like perfect world and we want all of our sensors to work well, sometimes that's not the case. It could be due to averaging. It could be things like, you know, when because it's light at the end of the day, right? So it bounces off of stuff and you 
these ghost obstacles when they're actually not there. So one of the problems I'm currently working on is how do we deal with that? How do we filter out what's ghost and how how much confidence to give to each of these random noise pixels? Be like, okay, you know, we can safely say that yes, this is noise, and let's just get rid of it. Versus, okay, maybe this is not noise. Can we use our other sensors to get more information about that particular area? Um, and so, if you're using other sensors, if you're using a combination of your sensors, is is more of the challenge in um, like specifically filtering out noise on a on a single one or is more of the challenge in like the integration process of dealing with these kind of like multimodal sensor in- i would say it's when you're dealing with individual sensors that you have more noise and then the benefit of integration is you can get rid of yeah. the noise so which is more challenging is it the noise itself or is it the integration the noise itself the integration is surprisingly more seamless i mean of course it has its own challenges so we have one lidar that is a planar and it looks for things on floor level and then we have one lidar that is slanted which is pointing towards the floor and then we have time of flight camera that is pointing forward again yeah. so and we when we're making path planning decisions we convert all of this into 2d but then at the same times when we are trying to avoid obstacles we keep that 3d information so there is a challenge in combining all of this information but then we give preference to sensor that we are more confident about our lidars versus time of flight cameras mm-hmm. and at the same time having that integration helps get rid of a lot of noise mm-hmm. so most of your market it sounds like right now is kind of in like the office space cleaning realm like that kind of thing is that an application you're going to continue to work in that space are you branching into other domains or what about that is it like what do you find exciting about that So yes we right now our, our major presence is in the cleaning industry with the big scrubbers and the small vacuum cleaners but it's more of you know in the industry in the I believe in the world of robotics it's you have to prove one thing works before you get on to the other thing so yes we started with the cleaning industry and you know we put our focus in there and we it's like you know we tried to make it the best we can and now we are trying to leverage the same technology into other fields mm-hmm. so we are always looking for partners and that's why we partnered with Savioki which is in the hospitality industry mm-hmm. which is about delivering goods to you know your hotel room from the lobby and and it helps people in the sense the person who is in charge of this can focus more on helping people versus having to go and run up to every room to deliver things right. Right. so yes we are always looking to expand and It's it's a process, right? You have to slowly get there. Mm-hmm. But yes, we're always looking to partner and expand out of that industry. Yeah. Um who are your main competitors in this market space? So in terms of the scrubber, yes, there are other scrubber scrubbing companies that are trying to do the same, but I think so far we've captured the biggest market share that it's no longer uh that we have some crazy competition going on. Right. But at the same time competition is good right like it keeps you on to try to be better and better but then we have ice we have tenant we have minute men so we already have a big capture of the market in terms of scrubbers what are those three how are those three different so there are three uh, big uh, scrubbing machine companies okay they have their own scrubbing machines and that's the thing right like they are all there are similarities between them yet they are all different and we've been able to use our own software for all of these three machines. How do you make your software modular enough to to deal with different machines? 
So the way it works is you pull information. So you pull information from each of the senses, right? And you feed information. So let's say you have path planning, right? So path planning is not based on the kind of machine you have, but path planning is based on itself. And it's pulling information from, okay, I need to get to this next point. Now, for this machine, this is my footprint. This is what I look like. So for this next spot, if I overlay my footprint, then I can fit in. Yes. So the path planning itself is different, but then executing that path planning is different. So you can still use all of these modules. And the same goes for mapping. So when we are teaching the whole route, the mapping is completely standalone on its own. But at the same time, you know, we can feed in information like, okay, this is the machine we are using. So all of it is, I would say, parameterized. So you feed in parameters like, okay, this is the machine model I'm using. These are the sensors I'm using. So accordingly, use this information. What level of granularity is the parameterization? Do you have, like, um, you just tell it the name of the robot and then everything kind of self-populates? Or is it like if you were to integrate your software into a system, um, you would need to give it, like, uh, model measures and, like, this is the core processor I'm using and, like, that kind of Mm, a little bit of both so for some machines like with the scrubbing industry right for each of these machines we already have a machine type that's associated with a few parameters some of them are common and some of them are different but then because we've established this as a machine that we want to use so you just type in the machine and it pulls all of the parameters that it needs to but for the new great yeah yeah thank you but then for the new machines that we will bring in or, you know, a completely new type, we would have to go in and be like, okay, these are the some things I have to change. But then at the same time, each of those modules, so you have your perception module, you have the cost map building, the mapping, each of them feeds, has its own set of parameters. So let's say you want to only change one thing, then you can only change parameters for those modules. Yeah. You don't have to do it for the whole thing. But yes, that, that was something we did have always in the back of our mind that we want to use this beyond the scrubber. We want to use this for robots. So let's try and design it that way. Mm-hmm. How big is your team? My own team is about uh, 10 people. How big is the, the whole company? The company is about 250 people strong nice. and we're growing. And how, when did this start? How old is it? So the company started sometime in 2009. But for the first few years, we were focused on machine learning and we were working as a contractor to Qualcomm. And then midway, we changed our direction and we were like, okay, we want to do something of our own. We want to focus more on robotics. Have you been with the company since it was under Qualcomm? No, I joined the company about a year ago. Okay. Do yeah. you have any sense of how how branching off like changed the company atmosphere or goals or... So I was not there around the time when they made this move. So I don't know a lot about that. But when I joined the company, we were at about 40 to 50 people. And we are at 250 now. So, so it's grown a lot in the past it's year. It's grown a lot. So I have been through that change where, you know, initially we were focused on making the machine the best we can. And now the focus has been like, we have made a lot of changes. We want to grow. Like I said, right, in the last one year, we deployed 500 scrubbers, like 500 robots. That's a huge fleet to deal with. And then at the same time, we keep a track of how the robots are doing. Like, what are our biggest pain points and how we can improve on that? Mm-hmm. So right now, I would say um, growing from that 40 or 50 people 
to 250 people it has all been about you know how do we manage this growth at the same time how do we branch out so initially we were just scrubbers and we recently launched the wiz which is the vacuum robot mm-hmm. and so going from one product to the other and you know it's it's been about growing what we're doing good as well as branching out mm-hmm. if you had to guess in 5 or 10 years how big do you think the company will be i think the company is going to be pretty big <laughs> we're growing well we're doing good we're partnering well of course we have challenges but we're dealing well with it because we have really good people we have some smart brains out here at brain car <laughs> Nice. Do you have any I think we're pretty much out of time. Do you have any closing remarks? Sure. I think I would go back to the start of our this thing when you know people are trying to get into this field. I myself am from outside of robotics domain and then I got my masters and I remember that two years were a huge struggle. It was hard but you know keep at it. It it gets easier. The more you do, the more interesting it gets, the more challenging it gets. And if you keep going, even if it's, you know, you have to learn on your own with books or YouTube videos, you can do it. Just keep faith in yourself. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really cool stuff, but I'm afraid that is it for today. Don't fear though, there's plenty more exciting robot-related content on RoboHub, including all our past episodes at robohub.org forward slash podcast. And if you're working on something exciting or know about some cutting-edge research that you think would make a great episode, do let us know by emailing our president, Audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. And of course, join us again in about two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Brain Call with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.